we- Jesus loves. And uh, what Week of Hope is about is it's about us loving and serving those people. It's about us volunteering in different ways that we can build bridges, uh, dr- bridges of trust, bridges of goodwill, where we can reach out and we can invite people to follow Jesus with us. So last year, uh, we, we did this. We had the opportunity to, to uh, share the gospel with about 190 people in our community, which is pretty exciting. And we want to continue to do that again this year. Uh, the, one of the other things that we're about that you heard a little bit about today is, is next step, next step discipleship. And, and what we want for ourselves is we want to be a people who are, are, are next step followers of Jesus. People who are eager to take the next step in following Jesus, whatever that looks like. And, and so for all of us, I think it's a little bit different. You know, our journeys are similar in many respects, but they're also different. All we want to do is we just want to be seeking from God, wanting to know what his next step is for us. In Acts chapter 15, when you read back through the scriptures, you'll read about how Paul had been doing ministry. He'd been doing ministry in, in uh, what would be considered what today the nation of, of Turkey, but that part of the ancient world, and he had been going around, he had been telling people about Jesus all over the ancient world. And then while he was doing that, uh, he was trying to go to several different places, and every time he began to step out to go those different places, God just kind of closed the door on him. He just kind of shut the door in his face. And so whenever that happened, he would just start another direction, and it was just like after one situation after another after another. He just encountered one closed door after another after another. We read about that in the first few verses of Acts chapter 16. And then in, in, in Acts 16, what happens is Paul has this really, uh, he has this profound experience. Uh, he's asleep one night, he has a dream, and then this dream, he sees a person, a man from Macedonia. Macedonia would be northern day Greece on the continent of Europe. And in this dream, this man from Macedonia said, hey, come here, tell us about your Jesus. And so what Paul did was he took that next step. Uh, he left Turkey, left where he had been doing ministry, went to uh, the city of Philippi in, in Macedonia and began that ministry. A few weeks ago, I say a few weeks ago, uh, a while back, a couple months ago, we started a brand new series on the book of Philippians. And Philippi was one of the leading cities in northern Greece, that area of Macedonia. Uh, Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, uh, who was the, uh, was the father of Alexander the Great, if you've ever heard of him. Uh, Philippi was, it, it was a city where uh, a lot of, it was a, it was a Roman colony. It was a Roman colony where people had uh, full rights as citizens of Rome. They had the, the same rights that someone who had been born and had, been, uh, had lived in Rome. They had all of those rights. Uh, it was an important city for a lot of different reasons. Uh, if you've ever heard of uh, Brutus and Cassius, uh, the two guys that were guilty of murdering Julius Caesar, after they had murdered uh, Caesar, Octavian, also known as Caesar Augustus, the nephew of Julius Caesar, and then also uh, Mark Anthony, not the entertainer Mark Anthony, but uh, Mark Anthony, the original Mark Anthony, uh, they went after these guys, and their armies, the armies of Octavian, the armies of, of uh, Mark Anthony, defeated uh, the, the forces of, of Brutus and Cassius, where those guys were killed. And, and basically all those Roman soldiers who were fighting with Brutus and Cassius were exiled to... Um, uh, were exiled there to, to Philippi. Uh, but it was a very important city. It was the, the first city, Philippi was the very first city on the, the continent of Europe that had a church. Uh, it was the very first city. 
Uh, and it was an important city for a lot of different reasons. Um, uh, you can read about uh, Paul establishing the church there in Acts chapter 16. Uh, the book of Philippians is an important book for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, it, 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 it's kind of a thank you letter. Paul was, was saying thank you to the people in Philippi for how they had supported him and helped him in his ministries. Uh, it was also written for, uh, to, uh, to address uh, uh, and correct a few things, uh, uh, to encourage them to be unified. Apparently the church there was, was somewhat divided. Uh, also, he was warning them about some of the dangers of false teaching that they were encountering at that time. Uh, and then also, he wrote them to report to them about the current uh, circumstances in his life and his future plans. When Paul writes the book of Philippians, he was actually in Rome waiting for trial. So he was a prisoner, uh, chained to a Roman guard, and uh, he was awaiting trial. And he was he was writing to uh, to uh, to exhort the Philippians uh, and encourage them in their own walk with Jesus. Uh, some of you, you may wonder, why should we study the book of Philippians today? And uh, just one reason that, that I'd like to get you to consider is this, is that that according to a recent article by Fortune magazine, anybody ever hear Fortune magazine? Okay. Uh, according to a recent article in Fortune magazine, uh, 16 million Americans, 16 million, that's a lot of people. But according to Fortune magazine, 16 million Americans suffer from major depression. 16 million. And another 42 million, uh, another 42 million Americans suffer from anxiety. And, and just, uh, so, so there are 16 million Americans suffering from depression, 42 million people who suffer from anxiety. And every year, depression and anxiety, uh, cost the global economy, uh, approximately one trillion dollars. Is that a problem? I mean, what could you do with a trillion dollars? I can think of a few things, okay? Uh, you know, it, 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 it is uh, depression, um, uh, anxiety, it's costly. Uh, not just financially, it's costly in our personal lives. And, and a lot of us here, at different times in our lives, uh, in, in different times, we've struggled with things like depression. We've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with those. And, and so the reason that Philippians is important for us to to study and look at today is because it is a book that's about joy. In fact, if you read through the book of, of Philippians, it's a really short book. I read through it again this morning. It's only 104 verses. But in those 104 verses, 16 different times, Paul talks about joy and about rejoicing and about gladness and being cheerful. He, he writes about, he writes about joy and he writes about rejoicing. Uh, also in the book of, of Philippians, nine different times, Paul writes about what he calls the gospel. In fact, the word gospel is only used about 75 times in the entire New Testament. And nine of those 75 times occur in these 104 verses that we call the book of Philippians. And so the, the book of Philippians tells us something really, really important. And what the book of Philippians is saying to you and to me today is that there is joy in the gospel. There's joy in the gospel. See, a lot of people, they're looking for joy in a lot of different kinds of things. They look for joy in, in, in maybe a relationship with another person. They look for joy maybe in career success. Uh, they look for joy in things like, like financial security. 
Uh, we look for joy in a lot of different kinds of things. But the message of the book of Philippians is this, is that there is joy in the gospel. And today what we want to do is we want to get back to our study of the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, the Bible says this. The Bible says, only conduct yourselves in a manner. And by the way, I'm reading here from the New American Standard Bible. Okay? Uh, uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. It says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, remember, where's Paul? He's in Rome. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him. In the verses before this, he talks about, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be released or if I'm going to continue to be imprisoned. I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. Uh, but he goes on to say this in verse 21 of Philippians. He says, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, 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 and he goes on into these verses. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, in other words, I'm, I continue in prison, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you, Paul says, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for His sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The message of Philippians 1, 27-30 is simply this, is that God wants you and God wants me to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel that we say that we believe in. You understand what I'm saying? That what God wants for you and what God wants for me is He wants you and He wants me to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, there are ways of living that are consistent with the gospel and there are ways of living that are very, very inconsistent. And what God is wanting for me and what God is wanting for you and what He wants for our church is He wants us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy or consistent uh, with the gospel. Two questions I want to answer for you today. Two questions. First question is this. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The other question is, what does it mean to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Now, first of all, let's talk about the, the gospel. What is the gospel uh, real quickly? Uh, first of all, the, the gospel in a, a very short and abbreviated sense, is, is this. The gospel is that, that, that remember the word gospel? Uh, well, you may or may not know this, but, but our word gospel, that English word, comes from an old English word that means good story. That's what it means, good story. And see, the gospel is God's good story. It's the story of God. That, that the gospel, the, the, the Greek word is euangelion. Uh, the, the Latinized version of euangelion is where we get our word evangelical from. And that, that what the, what the euangelion is, what the, what the, the gospel is, is it's the message simply this, is that, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. That he rose again, that he was buried, that he rose again three days later. That he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than five hundred. 
The gospel is, is that, that Christ came, that he lived, he died, he was buried, and he was raised again. Because of your sins and my sins. The gospel in the bigger sense is, 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 uh, it, it's really the whole story of the whole Bible. See, the story of the Bible is this, is that, that God created all things good. Isn't that true? Yeah, I mean, if you open your Bible and you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and you start reading your Bible, what you read is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you go through and you read in Genesis 1, it says, you know, God created this and it says it was good. And God created this and 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 it was good and it was good. And finally, seven times, six times, the Bible says it is good. And then finally a seventh time, it, God says it was very good good see god's creation everything that god made was good but you know and i know that when we look out and we when we experience creation today is it very good oh a lot of it is i mean yesterday we went out hiking over in mere woods we got to experience a lot of the very good creation that god made it was beautiful it was fun it was a lot of fun uh but uh, later in the day, we went over to, to Napa to have dinner, and, and we looked up and we looked towards, kind of towards the north, and looked towards Lake County, and you know what? It wasn't very good. N- nothing against Lake County, okay? Uh, but it wasn't very good. The, the sky was filled with smoke. The sun turned red. Sounded like the end of the world. Some parts of the Old Testament. Uh, the sun turns red. Anyway, uh, but it, it wasn't looking really good. See, God created all things good, but, but the, the truth is that you know and I know that there are a lot of bad things that happen in our world. There are things like drought, famine, earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, uh, there are hurricanes, there are uh, disease, in our community crime. There, there, is, uh, there are a lot of things, war. There are a lot of things in our world that are bad. And the reason that God's good creation isn't as good as it used to be is Genesis chapter 3 tells us a story of how Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. And the enemy of God, Satan, uh, came in the form of a serpent. And he tempted Eve to take uh, and to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says that when she saw it, it, it looked good. It, it was desirable. It, it, she And she took from that tree and she ate it. And she gave it to uh, her husband, Adam, with her. And he ate. And it says that their eyes were open and they recognized that they were naked. And what they did was immediately, and it's what we all do when we sin, is they went into hiding. They began to hide from God. But what does God do when we hide? That's right. He seeks us out. Now what does God do when Adam and Eve sin? Is the Bible says He called for them. He called for them. He said, where are you? Not because he didn't know where they were at, but he was seeking them out. We have a God who seeks us, even in our sin, even in our brokenness, even in our humiliation, even in our shame. Our God seeks us out. And uh, in, in, in that, God sought them out, and, and he comes to Adam and, and, you know, Adam says, you know, you know, he says, why were you hiding? He says, because we were naked. And God says, well, you know, who told you we were naked? Did you eat from the tree? I told you not to eat. And, and, and Adam said, uh, you know, he said, well, uh, <clears throat> the woman you gave me, you know, he blames it on the woman. And, and not just the woman, he blames it on God. The woman you gave me, if you hadn't given her to me, this wouldn't have happened, God. It's really your fault. 
Uh, and, and he did what a lot of us do. He did what all of us do. He, he, he began to, to make excuses for a sin. It's somebody else's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's your fault. You're the one who gave her to me. And so what does God do is he goes to the woman and he says, hey, did you do this? Did you take and eat from the tree? And what does she do? She says, oh, well, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. And she, she begins to blame. She begins to shift blame away from herself instead of taking personal responsibility. So when we read in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is that God says to the serpent, he says, Cursed are you because you've done this. You will, you will uh, eat the dust of the ground. You will go on your belly. And, 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 and God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman. And I will put enmity between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. And as we read through, and, 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 and God says that, that he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, the head of Satan. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. You, uh, the serpent, will strike the heel of the seed of the woman. In Genesis chapter 4, very next chapter, we read about how Cain kills Abel in the birth of Seth. And in the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis traces the seed of the woman. It traces the seed of the woman from Adam and Eve through Seth to a guy named Noah. You remember Noah? And then it traces the seed of the woman from Noah through Shem to a guy named Abraham. And then it traces the seed of the woman through, through Isaac and then, and, and then through, through Jacob and, and eventually through Judah. And we pick up on it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when you read through, uh, in Matthew and in Luke and you read about the genealogies of Jesus, it traces the seed of the woman, uh, from Abraham through Jacob, through Isaac, Jacob, and Judah all the way to, to, to David and then to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman who, being struck on the hill in his crucifixion, crushes the head of the serpent, the enemy of God. We get to the very end of the book of Revelation. The last two chapters tell us about how good God's creation is going to be again. And everything from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of Revelation chapter 20 tells us about how God is redeeming, restoring his creation. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And, and that's the gospel that God wants me and God wants you to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel. Well, what, what does Paul say in, 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 in verse 27? He says, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Very, very interesting. When Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the word he uses is, is polotuestha, which basically means this. Have you ever heard of the word polis? Like Indianapolis? You ever hear of that word? Minneapolis, polis? It means city. Okay? Polotuestha is the same. It comes from that word polis or city. It doesn't mean to conduct yourself in an ordinary way. It means to conduct yourself as a worthy citizen. Philippi, remember Philippi? We talked about it a little bit a moment ago. Remember Philippi? What was it? It was a Roman colony where all the people were considered what? Citizens of Rome. 
And what Paul is saying to these people is, hey, it's not Rome, it's not Philippi that you need to conduct yourself worthy of. Later in 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 uh, Philippians, I think it's in chapter 4, maybe it's in chapter 3, anyway, it's in there, uh, and we'll get to it. But he, he talks about them being citizens of heaven. Okay? And that's who we are. And we're to conduct ourselves, we're to live our lives in a, a way that's worthy uh, citizens, citizens of heaven, uh, worthy of the gospel. Three things that need, what does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Three things, real quick, and I'll, I'll hit these fast. Number one, uh, three things that God wants to mark your life and my life, that God wants to mark our lives as followers of Jesus. The first one is a steadfastness. Steadfastness. That God wants us to stand firm in one spirit. He wants us to be steadfast. He wants us to have grit. What does it mean to be steadfast? It, it, it says here, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are what? Standing firm, that you are steadfast. Standing firm in one spirit. Steadfastness is the relentless determination. It's relentless. Steadfastness, it's, it's determined. It is, a, it is a relentless determination to follow Jesus. It's a relentless to follow, uh, determination to follow Jesus no matter what. It, it is a, a, a determination to follow Jesus. It, is, um, it differs, steadfastness differs from the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of grit. Do, do you know what I'm talking about here? It's different from, uh, you know, one of the things, and, and I, I don't know why I like talking about them, but I do. Navy SEALs is, is I, first of all, I have a lot of respect for them. I do. I have tremendous respect for anybody who can do what those guys do. I mean, they are elite warriors. They are. Uh, the Navy SEALs, I mean, they do crazy things in their training, and one that I like to, to tell the story about, but it's just because I can't imagine being in this. Is What they do is they take them, they'll, they'll tie their hands and their feet, uh, hands behind their back, and they, they tie them up, and they throw them in a pool and blindfold them. And they leave them in the pool. They leave them for an hour. And what these guys got to do is is they, they sink down to the bottom of the pool, and then what they have to do is they have to kick themselves up, get a breath of air, and go back down underwater. And they have to keep doing that for a full hour. I mean, what they want is they want guys who will never give up. But steadfastness isn't that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of determination. It's not that. See, Christian steadfastness is really better than that. See, Christian steadfastness, is it's a little bit different. Christian steadfastness is um, it's an unwavering resolve and dedication that rises from a faith. Okay? It doesn't come from within. Steadfastness doesn't come from within. If you're looking within, you're going to hell. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. If you are looking within, you're going to hell. There is nothing I can do to save myself. I, I, I don't need self-improvement. I need a Savior. Steadfastness, it's not looking within. Steadfastness, it it arises from a faith that leans on, relies on, and rests in the everlasting, the everlasting 
promises of God. The promises of God that He is going to accomplish His purpose in you and through you. See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a a steadfastness, a, a, a standing firm that's less about me and more about the Spirit. Standing firm in what? In one spirit. Now, it's interesting. New American Standard, ESV, a couple other translations, all uh, translate this text as uh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Standing firm in one spirit. A lot of Bible teachers, a guy guy named Alec Motier, don't expect you to know him, evangelical British uh, uh, Bible theologian, um, um, Alec Motier, uh, R. Kent Hughes, some of you may know who Kent Hughes is. He's written a few books and stuff. Uh, but they all believe that the reference to the Spirit here is not just the human spirit, standing firm in one spirit, meaning the human spirit, but standing firm in the one spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read the NIV text, it's capitalized to reflect that it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, I tend to, to agree with the NIV in its understanding of this text. I think that it's talking about, because I think that the kind of reliance here we're talking about is not a reliance on ourselves and self-determination, but a relying on God, a steadfastness that depends upon God uh, uh, fulfilling his hopes in us. Okay? Number two, second thing that God wants to, to, um, to characterize my life, that God wants to characterize your life, uh, is that, that three things that mark the lives of people who walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. The second thing is this, teamwork teamwork diligently laboring together for the faith of the gospel the the verse 27 says conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ and then later at the end of the verse it says with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel striving together for the faith of the gospel that 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 teamwork diligently laboring together for the faith of the gospel so why is teamwork for God's kingdom purposes so important? Well, the Bible says in, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good return for their labor. You know, it's interesting, the other day on Friday, I was doing a little bit of work in the backyard and uh, trying to get ready for uh, our in-laws to come over, family to come over and stuff. And, and it needed a lot of work because we had been gone on a couple weeks vacation and then got back and I was just trying trying to get my head back into things here at the church. And so my, my backyard kind of took back seat. Okay. Hadn't really done a lot of work back there. But it was really interesting is as I was working in the backyard, Joy came out and began to work with me. And the moment she came out, it was just like, even though she wasn't helping me on what I was working on, all of a sudden what I was working on became a lot easier for me. There's just something about working together that is really important, that's helpful. What the Scripture says is it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. How? With one mind, striving together. See, it's not just diligent labor. It is that. There is a striving. But it's striving together. For what? For what? What is it that we're to diligently labor together on? The faith of the gospel, right? In other words, we're not just commit ourselves to working together. 
We're to commit ourselves to working together on something that is very important. And that's the faith of the gospel. Well, what's the faith of the gospel? The faith of the gospel is subjectively, it's that experience, it is that commitment of when you or when I, we put our hope, our trust in Jesus. But it's not just that. The faith of the gospel is the body of belief, the faith. Remember how we talked about the gospel being the comprehensive teaching of all of the Bible? That's what the faith is. The comprehensive teaching. And what we're to do is we're to strive together for the faith of the gospel, that we are to work together, to labor together. What does that look like? I'll tell you one thing it looks like. It looks like stuff like Week of Hope, doesn't it, Belinda? Yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like when we are working together, when we're going out, we're serving people in our community, two weeks in a day, we're going to be doing something that, that, that is kind of an experiment. We don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to do a free car wash Sunday afternoon immediately after church. And when people in our neighborhood are coming along and they got a dirty car, we're going to wash your car for them for free. And then we're going to invite them to a party. We're going to invite them to a celebration of Hope Barbecue and concert on that Thursday night where we're going to share the gospel with them. And when people come, they get their car washed, and if they say, hey, can I make a donation? We're going to say, no, no, we're not taking any money, but if you want to, you can give us a little food, and we'll help feed hungry people here in Solana County. And we're going to collect food for... for um, uh, Whatever it is. The food bank. Solano Food Bank. I know what it is. You know what it is. But, but you know, we're going to be doing stuff like that all week long. But what we are doing is we're striving together, working together. When we go to the leaven and we're helping to tutor and encourage and support young children in the most challenged neighborhoods in our community, teaching them how to read and different things like that, we're going to be laboring together, loving the people that Jesus loves together. When we collect things for the dignity box to help women who, who may not have the means to, to buy for themselves uh, personal hygiene products, when we do that, we're, we're going to be laboring together. When we give blood, when we give blood, uh, we're going to be doing that together to help serve people in our community, building bridges of trust and goodwill so that we can invite them to our Celebration of Hope bar- barbecue and concert. And then what we're going to do is, is that night, uh, is we're going to share with them the reason for our hope, our hope in Jesus. Striving together, teamwork. One of the things that God wants to mark us as walking in a manner worthy of the gospel is teamwork, diligently laboring together for the faith of the gospel. And then finally, third, three things that, that God wants to mark our lives uh, as people who walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is this fearlessness. Fearlessness. Refusing to let anything, refusing to let anyone discourage a life of following Jesus and living his mission. By the way, well, here, I'll just read it for you in, 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 in Philippians chapter 1. Just, just so we're clear about this, God doesn't promise you that you're going to make it through this life unscathed. Okay? God doesn't promise you you're going to make it through this life unscathed. In fact, you may go through this life and you may suffer immensely. You might. You might suffer a lot. In fact, what the Bible says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, there's a promise to claim. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, that does not sell a lot of books. And there's a lot of books being sold. 
That doesn't necessarily grow a real big church. But it's the message of the Bible. The Bible doesn't promise us that life is going to be easy. The Bible doesn't promise us that following Jesus is going to be easy. In fact, the Bible tells us it's going to be costly. You know, if the cross of Christ teaches us anything, it teaches us that following Jesus sometimes involves sacrifice, suffering, and even death. Now, we're really fortunate to live in America today. Most of us probably will never face that kind of persecution, but one day we could. One day our children could, or our grandchildren. And we need to be ready to follow Jesus no matter what. God doesn't promise us, you know, what, what, what Paul says to the Philippians, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed, startled, frightened, intimidated, discouraged. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only for you to believe in Him. It's been granted. You know what that means, granted? It means it's a gift. That's what it means. It has been granted for you, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Do you know suffering is a gift? It is. It is. Um, God wants us to be fearless, to be unafraid of following Jesus, even if following Jesus involves suffering. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, back in, in Daniel chapter 4, chapter 4, chapter 3. Anyway, it's in there. Uh, but in, in the book of Daniel, there's a story of these three young men. And, and what happened was the nation of Israel, this was in the, the middle part of the, actually the early part of the 6th century B.C. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had been carried away into captivity, into exile in Babylon. And the king of Babylon at that time was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who had a little bit of a, a, little bit of a rage problem. Okay, He needed to be in a rage management group. All right? Um, and, uh, and, and what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, he, he built this large, very, very large gold statue. And then he gave this command. Whenever you hear the special music being played, I want you, I want you to bow down and worship this image. And there were three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were all Jews and all were royal officials. And so what happened is they play the music, everybody bows down, but there are three guys who don't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and so there are a few of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who bring a complaint to Nebuchadnezzar about them. And so Nebuchadnezzar has them brought before him, and he says to these guys, he says, Hey, I hear you guys aren't bowing down. I hear you're not worshiping my statue. Now, I really like you guys. I do. I want you on my team. I do. I'm a kind guy. I don't know what people have been telling you, but I'm really a kind, easy-to-get-along-with guy. So as long as when you hear the music played, you will bow down and you will worship the statue, you get to stick around. You get to have the joy of my company. And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. 
I imagine Nebuchadnezzar's like, I knew you would see it my way. And then they say this, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you. Let it be known to you that we, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. The very next word says this, that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. He was so enraged, he, 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 he commanded that the, the fires be, um, uh, that, that, that it was to be made seven times stronger than what it normally was. In fact, the fire of that oven was so hot, the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who threw them in, died immediately. They threw them in. Those men who threw them in died immediately. But what happens is Nebuchadnezzar, those with him, they're looking into the furnace, and what they see isn't what they expect. They see, uh, they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They see them walking around, and they see another one walking with them, a fourth one, who looks like what they call the son of the gods. An angel. And, and, and what Nebuchadnezzar does is he cries out to them. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. And so they come out. They come out, and when they come out, not a hair on their body is singed. They have no smell of smoke on them. And Nebuchadnezzar says to them, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. What happens? What happens when we refuse to be intimidated? What happens when we refuse to be discouraged? What happens... When we refuse to be afraid. What happens when we refuse to be shy? What happens when we refuse to be timid? What happens? What happens? We choose to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What happens when we we choose to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord? What happens when we stand firm and strive together to follow Jesus and live his mission together? Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we suffer. We do. I'm not going to lie to you. But God is always glorified. God is always glorified, and one day God will deliver us. God wants us to live our lives in a way that's consistent with the gospel. He wants us to be steadfast, to stand firm in one spirit. He wants teamwork. He wants us to labor together for the faith of the gospel. He wants fearlessness. He wants us to refuse to let anything or anyone intimidate or discourage us from following Jesus and living his mission together. Let's pray. God, today, <clears throat> we want to follow Jesus. Lord, what we want to do is, is, is first of all, we want, to, uh, we want to, to humble ourselves before you. 
to, to, we, we want to acknowledge how needy we are before you. That we need you. We need Jesus. We need the gospel. We need to be saved. We need your grace, your mercy. And God, we want to celebrate and we are grateful because you are always faithful. That you are gracious and merciful, merciful towards us. That you save us. And Lord, what we want to do is now we want to live in a way that's worthy of that salvation. That's worthy of the gospel. Help us, God, to be steadfast, immovable. Help us, God, to, to strive together, to, to work together for the, adga- the advancement of your kingdom purposes. And Lord, help us to be people who refuse to be intimidated or discouraged from anything or anyone uh, that tries to discourage us from following Jesus and living your mission together. In Christ's name, amen.